welcome to the Lucky Leg Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, coming at you live from Wimbledon on day 13. The men's final has just been completed. We saw an instant classic between Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. Novak Djokovic takes the title, saving two championship points to defeat Federer in a fifth set tiebreaker. We've got Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink here to break it down. He's also going to break down yesterday's women's final, which was won by Simona Halep over Serena Williams in straight sets. Let's cut right to that interview and I'll see you on the other side. All right, Lucky Letcourt Podcast is here with Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink in the immediate aftermath of Novak Djokovic's Wimbledon title. He saved two championship points to defeat Roger Federer, 7-6, 1-6, 7-6, 4-6, 13-12 in a fifth set tiebreaker. Steve, I don't know what to say about this match. Hopefully you do. The people that have been listening to us, Chris, and do these, and I think you and I, we try to do a pretty good job and bring some clarity to our reports, can't ask too much of us right now because we're all trying to digest it. You and I were just starting to discuss the match as we headed over here. So here's my, here are my starting comments. First set, well played by both. Good standard. Djokovic hadn't found the range on his returns yet, but still, they both served really well. It goes into a breaker. Novak wins that breaker. So you figure it's almost an hour. He's really put Roger in a, a something of a bind, and that Novak will try to exploit that, a set that could easily have gone to his opponent and exploit that opportunity but before he played a terrible game to start the second set ends up losing his serve three times in the second set and and just was listless and then you kind of felt like novak was hanging on in the third roger had a big lift having won an easy second set and now he was rolling and he was he was serving very well and and very confident novak wasn't even getting to break points at this stage of the match but somehow he willed his way into another tiebreak and once more, he fended Roger off, played a really solid tiebreak, went up 5-1 and held on to win at seven points to four. And you thought he won't make the same mistake twice, meaning he'll start the fourth off realizing he can't afford the kind of mental lapse or, or sort of flatness that he showed early in the second set. But he did. He did it again from two all. He, went, he lost the serve a couple of times in a row, went down 5-2, got one of the breaks back, which I think helped him a little bit going into the fifth set, but it was still inexplicable to me that he dug such a hole for himself. So here we were in the fifth. And then, of course, the fifth is what made this match extraordinary. Until then, I don't think the standard had been that high from either one of them, frankly. They both, Federer had served well for f- four sets in a row. I mean, only lost his serve the one time at the end of the four. So that, that was commendable. But Djokovic's game was in and out. He just could not get even second returns high back in, second serve returns back into play that we that he's known for, that are his trademark. Let me set the table for you briefly. Before we head into this fifth set discussion, Wimbledon has instituted a new tiebreak oh, yeah. rule for singles where, where you go 12-12 and then there's a tiebreaker. So we've had 255 singles matches at this year's championships and none of them have gone to this tiebreaker. We've seen it in doubles and mixed. But, but so that sets the table for this strange match. It's two sets apiece. We go into a fifth not knowing what to expect. And Steve, tell us more. Yeah, thank you, Chris, for the, the listeners deserve to have the stage set. And that's what was remarkable, that we hadn't gotten one of these 12-all tiebreaks. I happen to be in favor of it being played at 6-all, by the way. I think we could have settled this at 6-all. But nonetheless, we got some 
major dramatic developments as a as a as a result of the tiebreak not being played till 12 all. And let's face it, give Wimbledon credit because in the past there was no fifth set tiebreak at all. So Djokovic got the break to go up 4-2 in the fifth. That's when I thought he had this match in his grasp because one nice hold at 4-2 and you served your way to 5-2 and Rogers in a terrible predicament. But Novak got tight again at 4-2 and Roger got enough returns back into play and was able to squeeze a break back despite the fact that Djokovic was at 30-all in deuce in that game. So now, now we get into a remarkable tussle. They're back on serve until 7-all when Djokovic loses his serve. So now Roger is serving for the match, 8-7, two aces in a row, 40-15 double match point. Nobody in the center court, nobody out in the world at large thought that there was any way Djokovic would come back. However, we may may have forgotten, some may have forgotten that two years in a row at the U.S. Open, he saved two match points in each of the semifinal wins he recorded over Roger in 2010 and 11. He went on to win one of those titles, lost in the final the other. So, all right, here we go. Roger, though, serving. He, he, Novak managed to get a pretty decent return back down the middle on the first one, and Roger missed a forehand, tried to play it a little too fine and sent it wide. But then on the second, Federer had the chance to attack. I think he made a tactical error. He came, he'd been coming in very effectively down the line off his forehand and reading Novak's cross-court backhand pass to make nice, nifty little drop volleys. This time he didn't. He went cross-court. Djokovic threat, no problem. Cross-court forehand passing shot. Then two more errors from Federer. Well-played points from Djokovic. He forced the first. The second might have been unforced, but suddenly four points running, and Rogers lost his serve, and it's eight all. Then they had some very hard-fought games, and Djokovic having to save break points along the way before we got to the tiebreak. One game he had 40-love on his serve and, and still had to fight off a couple of break points, but he was very strong mentally. We go to the tiebreak, and for the third time in a tiebreak, it was Djokovic who really... You know, he took advantage of some errant forehands from Federer early on as, on his way to 4-1. Federer got back to 4-3, took both his service points, but Djokovic served his way to 6-3, on, and on the, on the point that got him to 6-3, hit a beautiful backhand winner down the line. That put Federer in a, in a spot again because he's serving at 3-6. He ends up mishitting a forehand, and that's it. Djokovic went at seven points to three in that tiebreak, so we had our longest Wimbledon final ever. Uh, four hours and 57 minutes. Interestingly enough, Chris, Djokovic won 14 fewer points in this match than Roger because of a couple of this. The, this couple of sets were so much more decisive for Roger, while Novak was winning all three of his in tiebreaks. Doesn't happen too often, but it has happened to Federer. It has to be a bitter pill to swallow for Roger because to have that happen for the third time in his career against Djokovic with these match points, but in this case for it to be a final. The title was right there. Last time it happened at Wimbledon that a, in a final was 1948, Falkenberg and Bromwich. I mean, that, we're going back to that era. When, uh, nobody's done it in the open era. Yep. And the last player to, sorry, the last player to win the title while saving champion, uh, match points anywhere in the tournament was 1960. Right. Absolutely Frazier. remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It's astounding. And, and I think that it's going to be very hard. Federer will question himself. Because he served two aces in a row to get to double match point, he looks so confident on his way there. Two beautiful aces. But but Djokovic deserves all the credit in the world because he should have been hanging his head and said, I blew it, it's over. But he made sure to get that return back in play effectively on the first match point and then said to himself, well, I've done this before. 
I'm not giving up. And then made that nice pass on the second. And once it was deuce, I think Federer was probably haunted by those U.S. Open memories and this, the fact that Djokovic has taken so many big matches out of his hands. So it's hard to put this in historical perspective, though, Chris, because as I said, and I think you agree with me, that those first four sets were choppy from both. Djokovic really had a terrible day on the return. It wasn't until very late in the match that he started to get returns back deep, particularly second serve returns. Until then, he was way, way off. Roger's kicker was effective, but it shouldn't have been as effective as it was. He, he, he was killing Novak with the wide slice in the deuce court, and somehow Djokovic wasn't cheating over to that side and making those returns, and again, until much later. So, he willed his way to that victory. He did not have his best stuff today. I think Federer was closer to having his best stuff than Djokovic was to his. But he squeezed out three very tight sets all in the tie breaks. And here he is, Wimbledon champion for the fifth time, now with 16 majors. This match had such important historical consequences because of the fact that Roger would have gone to 21. Twice he's a point away from a 21st major and he would have been leaving Novak at 15. He would have distanced himself in six ahead of him and three ahead of Rafa. Now it's 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. It's 20 for Roger. He stays there. Rafa at 18, Novak at 16 and climbing. And I think it was a critical win because had he lost, especially from 4-2 in the fifth, I think it, it would have really, it, it could perhaps have really had lasting implications and psychological consequences to, heading into the U.S. Open. I think it would have really bothered him deeply that he came that close and didn't pull it off. Now, it's one of the most gratifying victories of, a career, of his career. I would say right up there with the Australian final of 2012, when he was down a break in the fifth, not Nadal serving 4-2, 30-15, fifth set, and Novak came back and beat Rafa 8-6 in the fifth to claim that crown. So... I would suspect that he put this sort of right up there with it, an extraordinary victory. Yeah, it's 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 uh, remarkable to see just how far Novak Djokovic has climbed. Of course, winning four of the last five majors, and he's creeping right on Nadal's tail now. And you know, who knows with Federer? Uh, there are now five people who have won four majors at, after turning 30. It would be Laver, Rosewall, Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic joins that club. And you think maybe at the end, when it's all said and done, it will be about who wins the most after they turn 30. Longevity is such a big factor with the big three. He's a young, it's beautifully summed up. He's a young 32, Chris. That's that's important to remember. And today, he wasn't at his physical peak by any means, but you still saw how strong he was in the end. And you're not, he's not going to play many five-hour matches like this or you know, four hours and 57 minutes to be precise. So I believe that he does have a, a, a lot more in him and, and he's still the man to beat and he could well have won the French if it hadn't have been for the scheduling and having to play his quarterfinal on Thursday followed by the start of his semifinal on Friday and finally losing the team on Saturday. So I think that really messed him up and he would, hadn't lost a set on his way to the semis there. And he'd won the three before that, as you said. So four out of five and with, I think, an excellent chance to win the U.S. Open later this summer. Yeah, and I think the, the final takeaway of the prevailing sentiment, like you said, it was a scratchy match. Federer won more points. Djokovic ultimately was the, was the guy who figured out how to win the biggest of the big points, including the match points and, and a few others in between. And uh, so he was Mr. Clutch today at Wimbledon. And what's remarkable is, you know, Roger has, you know, what, has the greatest tiebreak record, in my, in, in, to my knowledge, of any player. And, you know, he's won some crucial tiebreakers here, he, you know, six out of seven against Nadal and another critical one in, in their semifinal. And yet here's Novak winning three tiebreaks from him today. I mean, that's not easy to do with Federer, but I think Federer definitely got apprehensive in all of them. And when he started missing early, 
uh, Djokovic sensed he was gonna that this was the time to pounce, and he he did very little wrong in any of those tiebreaks. Roger had to earn every point he got, and as I say, that second to last point, the back end down the line winner was a was a, a kind of a statement shot, you know, clutch because if he doesn't win that point and Federer's back serving at four or five, he's still got a chance. But serving at three six, it was pretty much over. In other words, great effort from Djokovic. In other words, this was a tense match, one of the, one of the more tense matches and finals I, I remember in quite some time. I'm and still he, tense just talking to you about it, and I, and I sense a little of that in you. We're wound up. And, you know, Djokovic now improves to 4-0 lifetime against Roger Federer in five set matches. Well, yeah, that's also impressive. And he it's the fourth Grand Slam final in a row. He lost to Roger in the 07 U.S. Open final. He wasn't quite ready. We all thought maybe that was going to be his sort of debut moment where he was going to crack through at a major. He lost in straight sets to Roger despite having a lot of set points in the first two sets. But now since then, he's now beaten him in three Wimbledon finals and a U.S. Open final starting in 2014. That's a remarkable achievement. And two of the finals here, 2014 and today, were five setters. So Djokovic, is, I, I think, frankly, his mental toughness is underrated. It, it, there are times when he goes through sort of psychological fluctuations and doubts, insecurities, but he's such a fighter, and that's what got him. What, what I admired the most was he had a crowd that was coming down on him, as they usually do, and near the end he got an unsportsmanlike conduct warning because he, he hit the back of the umpire's chair with his racket. It was a, frankly, I think it was a judgment that... The, it was ticky-tacky. Yeah, it, yes, but it, what, it wasn't something that necessarily had to be imposed at that point. He didn't smack a ball into the crowd, right? It was, it was a pretty minor offense. He was great at just dealing with that and accepting it and moving on. And then a couple of, he had a couple other minor arguments with the chair umpire, and the crowd would start to boo him each time. While if that had been Roger Federer, they would have had no problem with it. The other thing I noticed is that Roger took bathroom breaks at the end of the third and fourth sets, one set which he won, one which he lost. Had that been Novak, Novak did it earlier, I think at that stage they probably would have booed him for that, but they were okay with Roger doing it. So I, don't, I think we're looking at double standards when it comes to a lot of the fans. They, just, they have their man and they support him, and Novak doesn't get uh, the same benefit of the doubt. Yes. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack and keep in touch with Steve. He'll be writing for Tennis Channel, I believe, not just once, but twice. So columns coming out at uh, Tennis.com probably tomorrow and again on maybe Wednesday or Thursday tonight and again on Thursday. Yeah, that's right. Wednesday, Wednesday. I'll do another. Before, before you go bury yourself in the cubicle and type away, let's talk a little bit about yesterday. There's only one match left at Wimbledon. The doubles final is just about to get underway, the way the women's double final. But we want to circle back and talk about Simona Halep's crowning achievement here at Wimbledon. She took out Serena Williams in a lopsided final to win her first Wimbledon title. Steve, some, uh, some reaction to that? Well, I, I tip my hat to her, Chris. I honestly thought this was going to be Serena's match. But it kind of reminiscent in a sense of the match with Kerber last year who barely missed a ball in two sets and beat Serena 3-3. Three and three. And this time it's Simona 2-2. Two and two. And I think she was right. I think it was the match of her career. Her, her, the, the, the movement was so extraordinary, uh, corner to corner, the way she came out of the corners, the way she stayed aggressive but never missed. Three unforced errors across two impeccable sets. Never lost her serve, faced only one break point in the two sets, broke Serena four times. What can you say? Now, I know people are critical, including Serena, critical of herself for all the errors. They came about largely to me because Halep was not missing and, and keeping the ball so deep and hitting so hard. 
and and moving so well that in a way it was sort of forced on Serena to try and generate something, try to find a way to hit quick winners end points fast. It just wasn't in the cards. And but I, what I was really happiest about was Serena's sporting qualities. I mean, this was nothing like the U.S. Open. She came around, she hugged Halep when it was over. Her comments in the interview room were terrific in terms of acknowledging the quality of her opponent's performance. And then it was also nice to see such a euphoric Halep come in and, and greet the press and talk about her joy in becoming a club member. And I was very impressed. I watch matches like that sometimes, Chris, and I don't. it's like a perfect painting that you don't want spoiled. So when she got to a set in 4-2 and Serena was fighting hard to hold it 2-4, I found a part of me saying, no, come on, Simona, finish this off here. This has been too good to, for you to spoil it or to allow Serena back into it. It's your match. I, I couldn't help but feel that way inside, and, and she did just that. I, very impressive, and now it's two majors. She's ended years at number one in the world, so, I mean, I think we're looking at a Hall of Fame career, but I don't think it's done. I think she has one or two more in her. Three unforced errors is a Wimbledon record in the women's yes, finals since yes. they started keeping stats since 1998. So a squeaky clean and crisp performance from the Romanian. As you know, that's a judgment call. I started doing this with Bud Collins back in 1972. And I, my, my feeling went then was probably similar to what the statistician did here yesterday. I always thought you give the player the benefit of the doubt. If there's some doubt in your mind that it might have been forced, give the, you know, they're great players, cut them a little bit of slack. But... So maybe others might have given her five or six or seven unforced errors, possibly. But I think that stat was accurate. And I think that it, it reflected the, the really the perfection of the performance on the day. And I love the fact that Serena acknowledged that and joked about how Simona played out of her mind in the presentation, but did it in an unbegrudging way, if I can make up a word. Well said, well said. And yeah, I think you're right. And frankly, I can't remember one unforced error by Simone Halep. But yeah. you, you talk about her winning more slams, and I think we agree on that. She's 27 going on 28. Right. The, the future's right. bright for her. Let's yeah. circle over to Serena. This has to be a bit devastating. 37, going to be 38 in September. She's still got 24, 25 in her? I hope so. I mean, I have to say, I, I, I would... I would like to see her trim down a little bit. I know she thinks she's at her best fighting weight. Maybe she can get just a little trimmer. Might help because I think the move, the mobility could be better at times. The ball striking is usually fine. The serve is magnificent, although Halep happened to read it. Per that was another remarkable thing. 68% of her first serves went in yesterday. She still got broken four times by a, a better player. But I'm not sure. I know she's a, she remains a great champion. She remains in the hunt. She wouldn't have been in three finals the last two years if she wasn't playing some great tennis. On the other hand, she's having some battles to get there. There's no automatic passage to the finals for Serena Williams. So I don't know. It's becoming to me more of a coin flip. I'm not sure she necessarily will get there because there's so many other players that surround her that are capable of either beating her on a given day or capable, for that matter, of winning majors themselves. So Simona will be coming back at her. Kerber's still out there. There's... Uh, Naomi uh, hasn't played her in, in, in a long, I don't think, since the Open. And so there, there's so many that, that can give her trouble. Not to say that we're going to see Serena bowing out in early rounds. I think she's going to make her way. But Pliskova beat her in Australia. You know, there are people that can pick her off on a given day in well-played matches. So it's going to be a tough uh, task for her. So there you have it. We turn the pages on another chapter in Grand Slam tennis history. It's my honor to have Steve Flink, Tennis Hall of Famer, here to break it down with us. Thanks, Steve, and we'll look forward to seeing you down the road in New York. 
And thank you, Chris, because your questions are always so they're, they're, they're challenging in the right way, and it makes it easy for me to try to convey my thoughts. So it's always a pleasure to come on with you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to special guest Steve Flink, Tennis Hall of Famer, for joining us. Always appreciate his invaluable insights on the game and appreciated his takes on the men's and women's singles finals here at Wimbledon. Well, we're all done for Wimbledon this year. It's just one match going on right now. The women's doubles final will be heading across the pond tomorrow. I want to thank you guys for following along with us during the Wimbledon fortnight and let you know you can keep in tune with us every week during the tennis season. And of course, we'll be back with daily podcasts at the 2019 U.S. Open. If you guys want to keep in touch with our Wimbledon covers, just check over to the website at www.tennisnow.com. You can also follow this podcast. Open up your Apple Podcast app, type in Lucky Let Court Podcast, and voila, you are there. You can also find us on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can find Tennis Now social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis now. On Twitter at tennis underscore now. Hit us on Instagram. See me around the grounds. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.